0: Gizmo has a block and the sidelines. He has not stepped out. He may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily. Promise, Mess, I wouldn't do this. McDavid stops up. What a move! Shoots! Scores! It's the Outsiders, episode 41. Bryn Griffiths along with Robin Brownlee. How are you doing today? I'm excellent. So we're at 41, huh? They haven't shut us down yet? No, they haven't. And that's the great part about the internet. They can't. The only people who can shut this thing <laughs> down will be you and me. And uh, we're having so much fun doing this show. By the way, it's brought to you by the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City. And looking forward to today's show because we are going to be chatting with Cam Moon, who is the new radio play-by-play voice for the Edmonton Oilers, a guy who's paid his dues and is now working the big league, the National Hockey League. It's already got a couple of games under his belt, but uh, Mooner hasn't changed very much. Well, the hair's gone, but aside from that, no, he hasn't changed much. I don't remember him even having hair, quite frankly. Uh, that's how long ago uh, that I've well, it's how long I've known cam as well we'll get to cam coming up in a little bit and he can tell us a little bit about his story. okay so last week we uh, were talking about the start of the National Hockey League season it's now underway. Edmonton Oilers have struggled a little bit out of the gate certainly in their own zone they have been absolutely a disaster too many too many times. The goaltender, in this particular case, Miko Koskinen, is having to face a shooter who's got nobody around him and has got three or four seconds to pick that corner and is doing a really good job of it, and it's making the goaltending look worse than it really is, in my estimation. But the Edmonton Oilers, in their own zone, have got to do something fast because you don't want to fall too far behind here, Robin.
1: No, I mean, and they, you know what? There's been so many breakdowns with this defense. Like you say, Nothing between the uh, forward coming in and the goaltender. I mean, how many guys have been behind that defense so far? I haven't written down every goal, but I'm thinking half the goals they've given up are guys who are either in clean or definitely behind the defense. The goaltending hasn't been good enough, let's, let's be clear, but grade-A chances, come on, boys, you've got to give them some help.
0: Holy crap. Yeah, you can't have shooters just standing in front of the net or moving in on the goaltender with nobody else around. It's It hasn't been great. Oilers have won one game, and that's because Connor McDavid was on fire. Gee, what a shock. Uh, the problem is, is that is he going to be able to be on fire? He or Leon, are they going to be on fire every night? The power play has gone a little cold. I think they'll be fine once they kind of get, uh, get comfortable with that. But, Robin, the thing that would concern me more than anything is, and we talk about this every – February, March, and just into the early part of April. If you fall behind, we I guess most people use the American Thanksgiving as an example. If you're out of the playoff picture by the American Thanksgiving at the end of November, it is damn tough to catch up, especially when teams in your, in your division are playing each other every night. And somebody is going to win. You, there's really no good decision for you if you're trying to catch up to the rest of the pack. With the Edmonton Oilers, They're going on to, uh, you know, they're taking on Montreal tonight, and then they're off to Toronto for a couple of games. So they got three tough games here. If they fall too far behind, it's going to be tough to catch up.
1: Oh, absolutely. And here, you know, you touched on it, Bryn. The difference this year with the North Division is if somebody in your division is playing, uh, you know, somebody is going to win. You could when you're playing outside the division, you may have a stinker. You lose your game, but the other three teams in the division that are playing, they lose their game. So no harm, no foul. Right. Teams that are if you teams playing in your division, somebody's picking up points. You lose two or three in a row. All of a sudden, now you're looking at the standings, going, you know, holy crap. So there is some more, you know, there's a, a sense of urgency. I understand that. You can't fall behind. I got a bit amused after the third game because there were – one one fan on Twitter, and I get it. I love the passion of Oiler fans. Don't get me wrong. Um, it's like, oh, the clock on the prime of Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisidel is ticking, and we still aren't getting anywhere. And I'm thinking, it's three games. I know. Now, again – Better than not giving a crap, but let's, uh, while being aware of how the standings work when you're playing only division games, let's not declare uh, playoff contenders or finishing in the basement three games into the season. We're taping, early.
0: we're taping this on the 19th, sorry, the 18th of January. I'd like to think we could just kind of watch how things develop here over the next four weeks before we yeah. start, you know. We're going to hear the panic immediately if they don't do well this week against Montreal and Toronto. But I think uh, if they are in a rough position by the time you hit the middle of February, then you can start looking for panic buttons to hit. But in the meantime, just sit back and see whether or not they can get the job done. But it's the biggest concern that I have is the fact that if Calgary is playing Vancouver, one of those teams is going to win, so you're always going to be catching and I don't think right now with the with the way this division is set up or any of the other two divisions I just don't think you're going to be able to play catch up very well. The other thing too, they played two games already against the Vancouver Canucks and they were okay games, but my initial thought after those two games was wow, just eight more games against Vancouver. I'm not sure and this is just me speaking. I don't want to see the Canadian division go any more than one season, the COVID season. I want to see all the other teams play. I want to be playing those other teams. I don't want to be having a nonstop uh, smorgasbord of the Toronto Maple Leafs or the Montreal Canadiens or the Ottawa Senators or any of these teams. That's a lot of games. Ten games is a lot of games to play against another team. And if they think rivalries are going to heat up, I think they need to be concerned that there's a tune-out factor too that could occur here.
1: Yeah, I think that's possible. Uh, the thing that stands out for me, uh, Bryn, and you know, you, you, we've got to touch on it because the the fans are 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 there's a buzz about it right now. The you know, back to Edmonton and the Oilers, the Oilers goaltending situation, man, it's worked out that they're in a pickle. I mean, every time somebody goes hard to the net right now, you gotta guess that that. Uh, Tippett and Ken Holland are going, Oh, please let him be okay. Cause right now it's Miko Koskinen and a whole bunch of nothing. As far as proven NHL backups go, this Mike Smith thing that put him out, you can't count on that. Uh, you know, you can't predict it, but I tell you what, if they didn't have these spaces between games, uh, I think in the next seven games, they've got days off in between, uh, So they can rest him. He can carry that load. But, man, I tell you what, having to go with one guy, uh, it's a big drop-off to the next guy.
0: And Aaron Dell was available on waivers but got picked up by the New Jersey Devils. So there's another quality backup netminder that the Edmonton Oilers will not be getting a shot at. Anyway, there's a couple of things that that we've noticed. Anything else that uh, is concerning you or that you've noticed over the NHL season starting over the past week?
1: You know what, what starts, what I start to notice, Bryn, and obviously I noticed it before, but they're having, I think there's a, maybe it's my perception. The empty buildings to me, I'm starting to notice that. We talk about, uh, like you talk about the rivalries and does it just start getting tired after a while. You know, players have to play the game unaffected by the crowd, but let's face it. When the building's full and people are going nuts, whether it's your rink or somebody else's, I think that ups the energy level for everybody. And we're not seeing that right now. If you don't have a particularly tough physical game and there's not a questionable hit here or there, what is happening to get the players revved up? I get self-motivation. you got to be ready to play. You're a professional. But I'm just noticing, you know, what's the color of the tarp in this building? You know, it becomes it's becoming more of a thing than it was during the bubble for me during the play-in and playoffs. That was a short stretch. I know we're only three games in, but I'm going, yeah, man, fans are an important part of this mixture, and right now I'm just noticing they're not there.
0: Flames have only played one home game so far, and the first thing I noticed was, ooh, I don't know if I like that red tarp. Like a lot of the, er, a lot of the other arenas have gone with a darker tarp. So it's not so noticeable in Calgary. They went with red, which is obviously their color, but it just, it just makes those empty seats stand out even more for me, just the way it goes. Uh, A couple other things. Sorry. Go ahead, Robin.
1: The only thing more hideous for me are those blasty uniforms. I'm sorry, Calgary. Uh, really like the hockey club just don't stand i just can't stand the horse with the flaming nostrils sorry i,
0: I always refer to it as the flaming iguana because i just think that straight <laughs> on that straight on horse's head just doesn't do it for me it's better i'd rather see the stampeder logo kind of thing the horse running at yeah. full speed ahead from the side angle but here once again we're nitpicky hey uh, some other stuff that that's happened here over the last week i watched the conclusion of the tiger woods documentary it was done by HBO Sports, the first episode, or the mm-hmm. front nine, as I like to call it, and we talked about this last week. I liked it, but I knew it was going to get messier, if you know what I mean, because we're about to go into the more salacious part of Tiger Woods and his <laughs> career. But it, it, it uh, I was kind of following along on Twitter and Facebook after I watched the second part to see what the response would be like. And I'm kind of surprised that people said, I didn't want to see that part of Tiger's uh, life story. And I'm thinking, well, that is part of Tiger's life story. And it also, not only did they address the back injury and the leg injury, but they also addressed the issues in terms of what had gone on, the three-ring circus that had gone on in Las Vegas and various other locations and various waffle shops and that kind of stuff and <laughs> and you know what it, like i felt ooh man i'm a little too I'm a little too in on this one i might have to i feel like i'm going to have to shower and kind of get that off me after i've watched this whole episode but that's part of the story if you're not if you're not going to go there then what's the point some people thought it was just hbo trying to make some cash but that's part of the story
1: well it's a big part of the story when you when you end up uh, having uh, wrecked your SUV outside because, let's be honest, the missus decided she'd had enough and bashed your teeth in with a one iron or perhaps it was a three iron. Um, and, you know, not you don't get righteous about it, but Tiger, you know what? You're a famous guy. You got lots of dough. To, or you, you really got to do that. The Waffle House thing? Are you, are, you know, are, are you going to be that much of a hound? I, you know, his call, but when it comes out, it's news. People love that background stuff. I get the TMZ angle to it. Um, it's not what we'd call hard news being guys of our generation, but uh, people want to know when you're that rich and you're that famous, if you're stepping out on the misses and it becomes public, man,
0: it's news. The other thing, too, is the arrest for... Uh for the uh, for the abuse of medications and uh and the mix the cocktail mix that went with that they they showed the uh they showed the interrogation at the Jupiter uh, police department it, it, i felt sorry for mm-hmm. him in a lot of ways but it just to me it hit a lot of different emotions it clarified a few things for me yep. as to okay now i see maybe why he went this direction or why he went that direction or the one thing I don't understand is why he cut people off from his life from his previous life, and has never spoken to them again. It, like I said, there was an element of sadness about it, but it ended on the yeah. high note of him winning the you know the Masters that he just won. I just thought I just thought it was a great documentary, and, and I I, uh, I have no problem with it getting a little murky and a little dark. And maybe a little salacious at one point but because that's how it worked. And he still got chapters to write in his story. There's no denying that. But I just thought that they did a nice job, so I thought I would kind of bring that up. Anything else before we get to Moodle? Well, well, yeah, I'd just say one thing. There's a lot of
1: athletes out there who were great athletes and great public figures. You can bet they're damn happy there wasn't uh, – not everybody walking around had a camera in their phone. Correct. And uh, – it's a different world today. Everything's out there. It's not like uh, when Babe Ruth was having was throwing back uh, shots with the boys. So different
0: world, different time. Comes with the gig, I suppose. It's funny too. There was about uh, it was no more than forty five seconds of him struggling at uh, what was the Phoenix Open or Waste Management Open. It was a rainy day, and it was on a Friday. And I went I went to that round and followed Tiger around and watched him play his worst ever professional round. And I remember him walking <laughs> off walking off the green. I think he was thirteen over through the first two rounds. and he of course he didn't make the cut. But I felt this is, this is I don't have a memory of this of the fact that and he was very <laughs> gracious as he walked off, but I just I remember it was a miserable day in Phoenix, and you don't get that you don't you know don't get in don't get into a situation like that very often where it was just pouring, pissing rain. And just watching Tiger get beat up like that was not uh, was not a lot of fun. But uh, they showed a little bit of it, and I said I was there that day, and that was not a happy day for Tiger Woods, I can tell you. But anyway, it's uh, it's the typical thing for a lot of people. You like to see athletes, in a particular case of broadcaster, build their way up from you know from the grassroots level and develop into something. And we're going to get to Cam Moon and talk a little bit about his story and how he got to where he is. In Tiger's case, he got to such an incredible height. People were kind of cheering against him to fall a little bit and then maybe pick himself back up. Yep. That's just how people work, and and I get that. But it's uh, it's all part of the the story, and it's all part of it's very Shakespearean in a lot of ways. But we uh, we we really do like to see people rise and fall and rise and fall and continue to try to build themselves up. I do anyway. It just it's, it makes for compelling sports watching. But okay, you ready to get to Mooner? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Long time play by play voice of the Red Deer Rebels, Cam Moon, got a call to the Bigs, the National Hockey League. And that's where we'll start with Cam Moon. And before we get there, we got to tell you that The Outsiders is brought to you by the Macintosh Group at Remax River City. Chatting with Brent just a couple of days ago, talking about the year ahead and the plans that they have. They think it'll be a bit of a slow start, but they do see things starting to rebound a little bit. They did a nice job of regrouping in uh, 2020, the COVID years, we're now starting to call it, and uh, they rose to that challenge, and they've already got a game plan in place for 2021, and they're looking to help buyers find their next home, and sellers, they're uh, they're also very keen on getting those homes sold. So if you're interested, like some more information, Track down Brent or any of his team members at the Macintosh Group. The phone number is 780-464-0075. You can also check them out online, McIntoshGroup.ca. Once again, looking for sellers, buyers. I think they might still be looking for a new agent, but they're getting their team put together, and they're, uh, they're excited about the challenge ahead in 2021. Okay, Mooner, up next. Into the corner to McDavid, to dry side, all his shot safe, rebound, scores!
1: Loose puck jammed in by Newton Hopkins, and the Oilers are up 1-0.
0: Robin, you used the term "overnight sensation" for Cam Moon. We all laughed. Cam, you're with us today, and thanks. It's a game day for you, but this is this seems like it's happened so fast. And I've been talking to some people, and they said it did kind of come together quickly. But how long had you been talking to the Oilers and to Ched about making this jump? Because uh, we didn't hear about it until just before the start of the season.
2: Yeah, it was. It came together real quick. Uh, like, I mean, in a handful of days, I was minding my own business in Red Deer, had just taken my dogs for a walk, uh, and uh, Brent Sutter had called me and said uh, the Oilers had called him and asked permission to talk to me uh, about a possible position, and he said, they'll give you a call this afternoon, and they did, and that was on a Thursday, and then I did an interview on a Friday, an interview on a Saturday, found out I got the job on the Sunday, the announcement went out on the monday and tuesday morning i threw whatever i could in my vehicle and drove up for practice so and then i had a broadcast to do on the thursday which was the second regular season game so it came together so fast i was cramming like i've never crammed in my life
0: now we got to backtrack just a little bit here because how many years doing red deer rebel games and, and how far back do we all go
2: oh we we go back a long way uh, i'm 20 i did 22 years of of the Red Deer Rebels and I did play by play in Nanaimo in the BC Junior League for three years prior to that. So yeah, there's been uh, there's been a few games called.
1: You know, Cam, it's funny. There was the reaction to your hiring out there was widespread. A lot of people fist pumping happy for you. But when you say it came together kind of fast, I was going through the books this morning. I'm thinking I looked at your, your playing days and so on and so forth. I spent four years on the buses Mm -hmm. in Kamloops and that was about enough for me. And you've seen this country side to side, or at least Western Canada all those years. Um, man, I tell you, did you see at this point where you just, Hey, if it doesn't happen for me, I'm good where I am. Uh, Were you stunned by the call? Uh, that they said, Hey,
2: How about coming up and joining us after all these years? I was absolutely stunned. And, yeah, I had completely figured that uh, where I was is is where I was. And that's the way it was going to be. And I was absolutely fine with that. I I love Red Deer. I love the WHL. A great league. So much fun to cover and to be around. And to work for the hockey club and all the different uh, things that you get to do on a daily basis. So, yeah, I I was absolutely fine with that. And I had no sniff nor any inclination that this was ever a possibility. So the fact that it, it happened, it still hasn't quite sunk in because there's no place I'd rather be. As you guys know, I'm from here I grew up here. I've got a lot of friends here. I love coming here. Uh, my wife and I bought a place here two years ago and spend a lot of the summer here too. So the fact that, uh, it's in Edmonton is absolutely perfect and it's only an hour and a half away from red deer. So it made that part pretty simple, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was so fast. Like I, I didn't even really believe it at first. And, and then when Monday hit and it got announced, so it became incredibly real. So it, I'm, I feel blessed and honored. I'm happy to be a part of the team and, and do whatever needs to be done. And I'm looking forward to the challenge.
1: A little context here for for uh, our listeners. I was just going back through the books. You played with Mike Medano. He's had a career come and go in you know in the in the Hall of Fame. Todd Nelson, another Edmonton connection. Um, Jared Bedner, yeah. Pretty good player in Richard Matvachuk. Yeah, he was oh, okay. a pretty good, a pretty, a, a pretty good coach, in uh, Travis Green and a goaltender who had a nice run in the NHL named Chris Osgood. If that's not waiting your turn and paying your dues, <laughs> I don't, I don't <laughs>
2: know what it, Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, I, coming out of of Northeast Edmonton, I'm a Maple Leaf Athletic Club uh, graduate. I, I I started in the Alberta Junior Hockey League at 17. I, I went to Fort McMurray. And I was there for about the first half of the year, and team didn't do very well. And I didn't do very well. I was over my skis, and I was struggling. I got traded to St. Albert, and I didn't, the, St. Albert was an older, deeper team, and, and I didn't play in the second half of the season. Uh, after that year, I went to Nippon at the SJHL. Rob Dom was the head coach, and he brought in a bunch of us from, from Alberta. And I want to say there was four of us from Edmonton on the team, and we had a really good team. And that's when I went up and played some games with the Prince Albert Raiders uh, after things were starting to go really well in Nippon. Raiders brought me in for a few games right before Christmas, uh, but they didn't keep me, and they made a trade for uh, an older goaltender who was really good, uh, uh, Freddie Chabot, who became a goaltender coach uh, eventually. Yeah, right here in Edmonton. Uh, So then I got dropped by the Raiders and picked up by the Saskatoon Blades, and I went to the Blades at the end of that year. So it was, and then that next year I, I played in Saskatoon. Actually, I played in Nipwin for a while. I played in Saskatoon. Then I got traded to Medicine Hat, and then I got traded back to Saskatoon. I played my twenty-year-old year in Saskatoon as well. So, like my hockey career was was eventful. It was uh, it was a little bit of a, a suitcase existence, but I was it was going to happen. Like I I was going to. I don't care how I I was going to make a a junior hockey career happen one way or the other. Like I just wanted to go along for the ride. You only get to do that once. And I was going to make sure I squeezed the living hell out of it and get as much fun and do as many things as I could in that time.
0: General manager in Saskatoon, Daryl Lubinicki, correct? Yeah. Did Luby tell you, you know what, Cam, we, we, we love the direction that you're going, but you're probably going to end up being a broadcaster, not a goaltender. How did you start thinking that uh, broadcasting was going to be the route you were going to go?
2: Well, my 20-year-old year, year, when it was becoming painfully evident that a pro career wasn't on the horizon, I was like, well, I think this is what I'd like to do. I think I'd like to call games and and work in the league. And I wanted to take advantage of that money for every year that you play in the WHL. they will pay for school when you're done if you don't go pro. So I came back home to Edmonton and went to Nate and took radio and television arts, and, and Saskatoon Blades picked up the tap. God love them. Nice. And that was wonderful. Yeah, it really was. And I played for the Ooks my first year there, and then my second year I fell ass backwards into a, a really good gig uh, doing the color on WHL games on TSN, only because Bob McKenzie didn't want to travel out west anymore because he was getting so busy, and he was really busy. And it wasn't because I was any good because I was terrible, but they wanted somebody that had just played in the league. So I fit the bill, I guess. And I did some games in the O and the Q as well, which was really cool at 22 years old, being able to see the whole country. And they did some Air Canada cups and Royal bank cups and and whatever, whatever they needed. Uh, So that's kind of how I would, uh, I would make my year is I would do the television stuff through the hockey season. And I would teach hockey teach at hockey schools in the summer which is also a lot of fun. Uh, but that's how I would do things until I got my first play-by-play job in Nanaimo. So, and then I helped coach uh, some, some midget teams with uh, the Maple Leaf Athletic Club, the double A's uh, for two years and the triple A's for one year.
0: It's funny when we talk to, or I talk to guys that were doing play-by-play in the Western league at the exact same time. And I bring up your name and I talk to Roger millions and bring up your name yeah. and Raj smiles and says, is there not a better story than that? And, a lot of other guys that uh, were around the league at my time all had the exact same feel when your story broke about the Oilers, it, but you know, overnight sensation, we joke about it, but you know, when you're, when you're working in the dub, it's a real, there's a real camaraderie, not only with the players, but with the broadcasters and and you've seen some pretty good broadcasters come and go in the Western league as well.
2: Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, Cause we're really, we're all in it together. And, and at the WHL level, you're doing, you're not just doing one job, you're doing a few different jobs. Right. Um, especially if you're working for the hockey team. Uh, you're doing, you know, multiple gigs. So a little bit of help goes a long ways amongst the, the different broadcasters. So, yeah, it's some really good ones have come through. And and the thing is you get a lot of reps, you know, prior to the most recent Past it was seventy two games. Now it's sixty eight. I mean, this year it'll probably be twenty four. But it's a lot of games. It's a ton of travel. It's uh, real late nights. It's all that kind of stuff. So, like it, it's a crash course, is what it is. Like, and then there's nights where you don't feel good, but you got to do it anyway because nobody else is doing it. And and it, the, when you got the, the lack of sleep of three games and three nights in three different towns, it, like it's, uh, it, it, it can be a lot. So you've got to be, you've got to be prepared. Uh, you got to be resilient and uh, you got to get your job done. So yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a great, a great learning ground, but it's also a great place to work. It's in wonderful communities, wherever they may be across the league and, you get on a playoff run in the WHL, and the whole team gets behind it. And, and both you guys know, because you've seen it, there's nothing better. No, that's,
1: there's a, there's a lot of a lot of fun in that league. Uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, you said a pro career wasn't in your your future. Well, I me, mean, I guess not a pro career that probably included being in an airplane at any point. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the last thing a guy needs after. You know, uh is all that time in the minors when you've, when you've already been on the bus. But, Cam, I'm trying to think of guys who – you talked about getting the reps, and that's important in any line of work. I'm trying to think of guys who would have been in, behind the mic in the dub as long as you were. Um, obviously, Ridley in Medicine Hat. Um, I think
2: Les Lazaric in Saskatoon. Leslie, Les in, in Saskatoon. Uh, yeah, he, he did it for a while, but Les Lazaric in Saskatoon's been doing it longer than – than I have. Um, and, and Brad Curl, who's in Calgary, but prior to that was in Lethbridge. Right. If you combine those two, he's been doing that a really long time. Uh, Craig West in tri cities before that was in uh, Spokane. Uh, Mm -hmm. Westy's been around for a really long time, like longer than me. In fact, in fact, Westy started with Spokane when I was playing. That's right. Yeah. Cause Wes, was calling games when I was in Saskatoon. So, so he's been around for, for quite a while. I, so those would be the I'm just going through them in my head. Those would be the ones that have been around the longest. Like they were, they've all done more seasons than I have, but I would have been kind of next after those guys.
0: Hey, before we move on to this next phase for you, we got to talk about Brent Sutter and the organization mm-hmm. you just left because I had to deal with Brent in Calgary for about a year and a half and I loved, I loved him. I, uh, you know, he was very honest and very down to earth and he always was excited about what's up next and that kind of stuff. But to have him give you the thumbs up when the Oilers called, it just says so much about the man.
2: Absolutely. Um, I, I got hired by Wayne and Terry Simpson there. Yeah. So Brent bought the team like the next year. So he inherited me, and I always thank him for keeping me. So that was great. Uh, just Brent and Connie are, are wonderful people. Uh, Merrick, uh, their oldest son, uh, runs the business side. Uh, their boy Brandon, who plays in uh, Vancouver, and their daughter Brooke. I've uh, been unbelievable. Like just it, it feel you feel like family. Yeah. Like going to work there is not. It's not like going to work. It's just it's it's very it's very comfortable. It's, it's very, uh, welcoming. Yeah. It's, you just feel like part of the family and all the stuff that we would do together as a staff, you know, and it's not a big staff. I mean, that's part of it too, but, uh, we did so much together as a, as a staff and just had so many laughs and yeah, yeah, there was, uh, and after like home games, especially if there was a game the next night, I would have stuff to do I'd be in my office and if it wasn't a particularly good home game then you know Brent might be a little bit wound up about it as you know it, it can happen so yes. I would be the only guy I'd be yeah I'd be the only guy left and Brent would come upstairs after you know doing whatever it is they, they do down there and you know, go over some stuff and and you know talk to the players uh, and then we would sit down and kind of a heart-to-heart and I would try and find the positives because uh, I'm a glass-half-full guy. Uh, I would try and find the positives and, and get him into a better headspace so that he would have a more pleasant drive home after the game. So <laughs> we had some some good talks up there and we would have some laughs and all that sort of thing. So I'm definitely going to miss that.
1: Cam, let's, let's move up the road now. You mm-hmm. would have grown up listening to Rod Phillips on the radio. Um, yeah. For my for my money, uh, and I'm not an Edmontonian, but I got here in 89, one of the best ever, the emotion in his voice always always got to me, was lucky to sit beside him on the plane for many years on the beat, listening to the stories. For all the great players and the five Stanley Cups that have come through Edmonton, though, on the mic, on the radio, there's been... Basically, Rod Phillips, Jack Michaels, and now Cam Moon. Do, do, you, do you pinch yourself when you think of that list?
2: It's unbelievable. Right? That is that's, – yeah, that's, that's hard to fathom, to tell you the truth. Because same thing, like, as a kid growing up, uh, back then there weren't a lot of games on TV. There were – you got your handful of Saturday night games – Uh, with the Oilers. And then really it was a handful because it was a lot of leaps and and haves. And you'd get the, the local ITV games of which there was like maybe 10 a year. So unless you were going to the games and through a minor hockey schedule, that's not the easiest, but my dad did find a way to, we certainly went to games. I know when I was about 13, he started splitting season tickets with a guy at work. And he would pick his 20 games around my minor hockey schedule. So that was nice. So I did get to go to quite a few games. But Rod was the link. And after I got the job, uh, I was answering emails and texts, as you could imagine. But I was, I was at the, sitting in my office in Red Deer, and I was answering an email. And my phone goes, and I look at it, and it says, R. Phillips. I just fell off my chair. <laughs> and Rod gives me a call. I was, like, so honored. I damn near cried. Like it was, it was unbelievable. And I was explaining to him, you know, how I listened to games as a child uh, with him, and 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 I was telling him how I remember vividly, vividly, when Gretzky scored his seventy seventh goal to break Phil Esposito's record, and he scored it in Buffalo against Don Edwards. I had a minor hockey game at the Oliver Arena. And we were just, I was like, we were just leaving the, the parking lot. I remember we were just pulling out of that little Oliver parking lot. It's very small and just about to pull onto 104th Ave. And, and I remember that's when the goal was scored. I remember that absolutely like it was yesterday. And then that's, you know, that's can be the impact of, of the radio. I've always loved the radio. I think it's a wonderful medium. Uh, whether it's calling hockey, whether it's football, whether it's baseball, although baseball may be the most perfect sport for radio. Uh, I don't know. There's just, there's something about it where you can recreate for people what it's like in the rank right then. And if they're driving on the highway and they, they got to get somewhere or they're, or they're working or they're going somewhere around town, I mean, you get to put them in the rank. And and to me, that's that's something that I, I hold dear to my heart, and i I feel honored that I get the opportunity to do that.
0: When we are done here, we're we're going to play your very first goal call as an Edmonton mm-hmm. Oilers broadcaster. And it's ironic too that uh, the Nuge gets the goal because I'm thinking you've called every Nuge goal in his Western Hockey League career, or damn near everyone. Yeah. But know everyone. You do one thing. On that call, and we'll let people be the judge, but this is what I I listen for. I love to hear the crowd. And on the radio, you're right. It it goes back to a conversation that I I heard with Bob Costas when they asked him, do you prefer to do a radio call or a TV call? And he said, totally different, but I prefer radio. Because in radio, you've got the blank canvas and you've got to paint the whole picture. In television, i just got to put a caption there. Vin Scully said similar things. But I also remember one guy telling me that when a team scores, hold everybody off the broadcast for a second and crank up that crowd sound because that crowd sound is part of that picture that you're painting. You did a beautiful job on that call, I thought, with Nuge. And it's not hard. Well, yes, it is hard to hold Bob off, you know, from speaking because Bob's an (laughs) excitable kind of guy. but. Yeah, you let the crowd say a couple of things before Bob was able to jump in, and to me that just tells me that this is going to be a wonderful relationship between you guys, and it also just tells me how many games you've been doing on the radio because I—that's the kind of stuff I listen for. But I—I I thought your first call, I thought it was great.
2: Thank you. I, I couldn't believe the the good fortune, the luck that it was Ryan Nugent Hopkins. It just. <laughs> it just seemed to be one, you know, it was one of those days. This is where it all comes together. So, yeah, that was, uh, that was, was really nice. It was a nice touch. Uh, I really should thank Ryan for that one of these days. But, uh, it, yeah, I, I, I really want to try and bring fans into the rink. It's really weird that there are no fans. Yeah. That there isn't that. You, like, you can't play off that emotion. But like, you have to drum it up yourself. I, I, you always take it for granted. Like prior to this year, you, who would have ever thought that we'd be calling games in absolutely empty arenas? Like it's just—it's something I just always thought would be there. Whether that's on the road, uh, where the the home crowd, when you're on the road and the home crowd gets sour because your team scored, or or you can almost just hear the the, the players on the bench, and that's about it. But yeah, it it takes a lot of the emotion out of the game that you have to drum up yourself to really get the fans the the idea, the essence of the game, and what it's what it's like right now. That's it's a little. It I don't I don't like it, and I can't wait until fans are back to tell you the truth.
1: Cam, uh, a bit of a standard question, but I got to ask. We talked about Rod. Phillips all those years as you were a kid growing up but you got into the broadcast business pretty early as it turned out um anybody influence you not so much I want to be like him but a style of uh, of uh, play call or did you just develop your own along the way yeah I just
2: kind of I just have to be me I I can't be anybody else and not anybody else and but I, I definitely look up to a lot of people, Rod Phillips, of course, uh, being one uh, that whose style I appreciate, and I think it's great, it's just, I have to just be me. And when I got to Nanaimo on my first play, I didn't have a style. I didn't know what it was, because when I got to Nanaimo, the first game, "This is the Honest to God Truth," the first game I did in Nanaimo was the first game I ever did. I didn't do any games in Nate the first year I was playing for the team, the second year I was doing TV. So there was no chance there. Uh, I, I found out about the Nanaimo job through a guy I worked hockey school with. And he told me, I was like, okay, so I called there and they're like, okay, well send us a tape and a resume back when it was a tape and a resume. I was like, oh boy, I've got like no, no play-by-play, like none, I've got nothing. Like I've done a bunch of stuff. That, that might look okay, but I don't actually have play-by-play. So at that time, I was an assistant coach, Maple Leaf Athletic Club, with the, with the AA midget team. They were playing the Southside Athletic Club, and it was at the Bill Hunter Arena. So I, for the first period of the game, instead of being on the bench, I went to the other side of the rink at the Bill Hunter with one of those itty-bitty little uh, mini cassette recorders. Yeah, uh, Robin, you would have been, yeah, the kind you guys would have used for a lot of, like, post-game yep. stuff. Micro yeah, like, yep. yeah, yeah, a little micro cassette. And I sat up there with uh, Rodeo Roy Stasiak. Uh, Rodeo Roy uh, was my assistant coach in the Alberta Cup, so I'd known Roy since, you know, however old. I was 15 or whatever, maybe 14, I'm not sure. I sat with Rodeo Roy. He helped me. He did color, so to speak, for the period. And I knew the two teams really well because – It was later in the season, and we had played the south side a lot. And then, of course, our guys, they knew inside out and backwards. So I did a whole period, and out of that period, I could find three minutes that wasn't terrible. It wasn't good, but I could find three that wasn't, like, total junk. And and I landed up getting the job, and I had to do some TSN stuff. I had uh, an Air Canada Cup to do. I, I had a WHL playoff game to do, and then I had the Memorial Cup was in Kamloops that year of 95. So I loaded up my car, which was an 86 Camaro, no less, because <laughs> that, that's how I roll.
0: Yeah, of course.
2: <laughs> yeah, so I drive my 86 Camaro to Kamloops. And as you know, there's not a ton of, of storage space in that <laughs> car, but that's all I have. So I've loaded this thing up. I get to the hotel in Kamloops, I unload everything because I'm going to be in Kamloops for 12 days. Memorial Cup ends, I load all that stuff back in there. I drive to Nanaimo, I start the Odyssey, and then that would have been near the end of May. And then in September, when the season started, that was my first game. So I figured it out as I went.
0: I got to ask you if you (laughs) went through the same emotions that I did because the very first game I did was at the U of A doing Golden Bears Mm -hmm. after Morley Scott had moved on. And, of course, I was like most people, and I see this on Twitter all the time. People are always so critical of play-by-play, guys. I still remember the very first three minutes of a broadcast I did on the campus station. And after three minutes, I thought to myself, what the hell am I doing? I don't know if I can do this. This is way (laughs) harder than it looks. And I thought, I'm never going to make it through the whole game. You must have had some serious thoughts in that first broadcast thinking, you know what, I thought this was going to be so simple, but making it go from your eyes to your mouth in a nanosecond is way harder than it seems.
2: Absolutely, yes. I was clearly over my skis early on in this. Now, I did have the good fortune of, of doing a bunch of games as the color guy on television, and Paul Romanek was play-by-play then, uh, and Gordon Miller was host, and and Paul helped me a lot. Like he gave me a lot of pointers and tips and I was, I mean, I was living it with him every game, like right next to him. So I could, that helped a ton. You know, more than anything that gave me a bit of an idea. And then the fact that I was able to, I was there right from the day one of training camp. So I was at camp every day. I was at all the preseason games and that. So when the first game started, I was very comfortable with the players on the home team because I had seen them so much and been around them so much. And eventually I became the goaltender coach of the team while I was doing the play by play and working at the radio station. Hey, it's a junior eight. You got to do a few different things. Yeah. So I I was a goalie coach two of the three years that I was there. Uh, So then you, then you really know everybody (laughs) really well. So, but you're right. It was the first few minutes is like, Oh, like, and it's you like, yeah, that's right. Your heart just going, uh, the, the beats per minute, go right up. Even your breathing. You but then get,
0: you, there's a breathing rhythm. You got to have, yes. right?
2: Yeah. And then when you're doing games by yourself, like, oh, yeah. you know, the home games, you can, you got a color guy and in the nine had uh, the newspaper guy would do color with me if he was on the trip. Otherwise they just do the game, do the game by yourself. But yeah, if it's, um, Yeah, it's a crash course. Like, it's sink or swim.
1: I got to tell you, you guys are are two guys who, who came up being trained on the microphone. That feeling does extend to the print guys. When you keep those first newspapers and proudly clip them and mail them out to all the members of your family, then 10 years later, you look back and you go, I wrote that shit. Oh, Holy yeah. cow! Is that <laughs> embarrassing? Right. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a, it's the same for everybody. But I tell you what, the only way you get good at it is doing it. Now, what's next, Cam? I mean, you're here. Uh, you're in the National Hockey League. I know there's no fans in the building, but uh, this is a you're you're in a different world now. You're in a different world when it comes to amenities, to arenas. Uh, you know, even though the, the travel is different this year, uh, this is a, the same sport, but it's a different world
2: in a lot of ways. Oh, it did ever. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, you know, you know what's the, Like they actually get you all the information here. I like, know. It's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> like there's people that their job is to put together all the information. This this is lovely. Like I can't tell you how, if if you haven't spent a lot of time in junior hockey, then maybe it's just, um, accepted. And that's just the way it is. But you spend some time in junior hockey where you got to do a bunch of different things. And it's awesome that you get to do all those different things. Don't get me wrong. I love it. I think it's wonderful, but up at the, at the big league level where a lot of people do a lot of things and do it really, really well that, um, and, and makes it it makes it easier for you in that you can concentrate on what you have to do, not any of the other things. That it blows me away, and I feel so fortunate. Like I, honest to God, it's it's like I hit the lottery. Like my numbers came up, and I'm I'm very happy and honored. And I want to do the best job I can do. And like I'm I'm extremely happy to be here. This is this is where I. I always wanted to be eventually.
0: I want to take you back to those early years in the Western Hockey League because I, when I think back to yeah. it, when I started, there was no internet. There was nothing. My mm-hmm. way of getting game notes would be to phone Jeff Schnauth the day yeah. of a game in Medicine Hat before Musha traveled on the bus just to get scoring stats, let alone stories. And then you look at the progression technologically – and how much has changed in in terms of broadcasting a game, you are going to be doing a few of your broadcasts, not on the road, but in front of a big screen. And there's a lot of, I mean, the changes are um, unbelievable.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think like when, when you were doing games in the WHL, yeah, you're right. You're into the, into the bare bones of it. Like the getting the, the stats by hand so to speak. And when I them. was in Nanaimo, yeah, yeah. It wasn't much different. We had faxes, yeah, but, but that was it. Uh, when I got to red deer, I mean the internet was becoming a little more useful in that you could email stuff to people, yeah. uh, and then print it. So that's good. But I, I look at what, how it's, how it's evolved. And for the last like six, seven years in the WHL, like, I can watch the team that we're about to play, I can watch their, their last game.
0: Yeah.
2: And that is such a help to actually get names and numbers into your head, especially not so much when it's a team you see all the time, but when the, the Portland Winterhawks come through, and they don't come through very often. It gets you up to speed, and it really helps, and it gives you a, a better level of comfort when the game starts. Because otherwise, I mean, it's not like their games are on TV or anything. It's not like you're seeing them everywhere, unlike the NHL, where you can just watch games. So that's helped. Yeah, the the, the technology is amazing, and the quality of of the broadcast too. I when when you were doing games in Moose Jaw, I would have been like phone line quality. It would have sounded you know, not different than a, you know, soup can and a string. Yeah. Like it would have been close to that. Uh, and that's the way it was in Red Deer when I first got there. And that's the way it was in Nanaimo. But here by the end, I and mean, you're using uh, a tie line board that gives you like studio quality sound. Uh, it, it, that, that blows me away too because, you know, in radio, if you can make that sound really good, yeah. And if you can get those rink noises and you can hear the puck hitting the stick and, and you know, that sort of thing and the crowd and all that. If somebody's just driving down the highway and they got the game on, you're putting them right in the rink if you can get them all those sounds.
1: Now, we're talking technology here, Cam, but yeah. is it true you don't have a Twitter
0: account? Yeah, what's that up with that? The... Come on. What's the well, deal?
2: So here's the thing. I've <laughs> I've been helping do the rebels Twitter for years. So I've been on Twitter, but I haven't been on Twitter. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's not far off of, of a burner account, I suppose. But So I, I've, I've been, you know, on it. I check it. I find it quite useful for information and stuff. I just haven't on it. I don't have Facebook either. And I don't have Instagram. Uh, at some point, I think I'll probably have to get on Twitter. I don't know. I'm not sure why, but I probably will. I haven't come up with a reason why yet. Uh, if somebody tells me to, I, I'll do it. But, yeah, I don't, I, I'm i on it. I use it. It's quite handy. I just, yeah, I. Uh, I the one thing I really do is I do, um, I, I enjoy my privacy. I enjoy um just having a little bit of arm's length there so staying off the social has provided that for me
0: you've got to get down to a morning skate because it's a game day for you You, you're doing every radio broadcast except for wednesdays and saturdays is that correct
2: that's that's how i understand it jack
0: moves in because those are national broadcasts and so you're doing all the regional television broadcasts on the radio Listen, nobody yeah. – well, I'm sure there's a lot of guys, but you're talking to two guys here who couldn't be happier for you because uh, we know the amount of work you've put in. I loved it when I heard the announcement, and uh, I loved listening to the broadcast, your first one. I thought it was fantastic. Keep up the great work. Yeah. Get, get settled in, and this summer we'll have to uh, – if the COVID thing goes right, we will get out on a golf course somewhere or we will meet up for a ski somewhere. Because the time has Ooh, come like to, yeah, we got to we gotta get together. And, yeah. and Robin, yeah. you were going to add to
1: that? Just, uh, Cam, you worked your ass off to get here. Now that you're here, this season, down the road, once we get back to normal, hopefully, enjoy every minute of it because there's a lot of people who'd love to do it and very few people get to do it.
2: Yeah, I agree. Thank you. I, I look forward to it guys. I, I'm gonna uh I'm gonna do the very best I can uh to to wave the flag and bring the game home for Euler fans. So thanks for having me on guys, I appreciate
0: it. And keep stuff under control.
2: Oh I I've known Bob for I, I think it's gotta be thirty years now. Ditto. And I am yeah. so looking forward I've had so much fun working with Bob and he's got so much information. I mean somebody's gotta carry me and that's my guy. That's going to be the guy who's going to carry me.
0: Thanks, Cam. This is great.
2: Okay, thanks, guys.
0: So there you go, Cam Moon, the new radio play-by-play voice of the Edmonton Oilers. We say new, but he's been around for a long time. I think he explained it. Hope he gets settled in nicely, too. But, man... Are you surprised it came together that fast? I'd heard the rumble and the rumor that it it, it just basically happened over the span of a couple of days, but talk about uh, a circus life having to pull up the stakes and, you know, take the tent down and move it up as fast as possible. Thank goodness. It was only 90 minutes down the road.
1: Well, I I love the, it happened that fast and yeah, at the end, it certainly did. And that phone rings and all of a sudden it's Holy cow. But, uh, Anything but an overnight sensation, as we as we kidded Cam about. Uh, but when the when the wheels started uh, rolling, they rolled quickly, and here he is, paid his dues. He's in the show, ready to go. Good for him.
0: Hey, let's also talk about the other guy who's made the jump, and that is uh, Jack Michaels has gone over to the TV side. I never doubted the Jack's play-by-play would actually be better suited, I think, for television than radio. I thought he did a great job just stepping right in there with Louis DeBrusque, and I'm not surprised by that. Are you? No,
1: I think he's perfect for TV. Uh, you know, I remember when Jack came into town, uh, I didn't know anything about him. I hadn't heard his call. It took me a while, frankly, to get, to, frankly, to to borrow a, a, <laughs> a Jack term. Uh, it took me a while to get into what he was doing, I guess probably just because, it wasn't Rod Phillips after all those years. yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, he revs it up and I think it's perfect for TV. Everybody's got their own style. We all like different things, but good for Jack. It's nice to see him uh, grab that part of it as well. So yeah, good for him.
0: And then let's also talk about the two guys that aren't back, and that is Kevin Quinn. I've been a big uh, Quinner fan for a long time. I hope he does well. I hate to see him go, but you know that's the way the business works. But Kevin was always a very, very professional individual. Anytime you dealt with him, so uh, so the best of luck to him. And and Drew Romenda, I've known Drew for a really long time, and I always felt that Drew was better on the panel with Gene Principe than he was as a color commentator but here's a guy who also has impeccable NHL credentials as a coach and also as a broadcaster, but it just wasn't working here.
1: Yeah. You know, the, the thing is, and it's funny, you know, Kevin Quinn, you, you, you look back through maybe what you've done in your own career. I've One of my favorite photos is a, a picture of us in Times Square in New York. And, uh, you know, Kevin was a terrific guy to travel around with, uh, You know, it happens in the business. You know, you know that going in. Drew Ramenda, I really liked. I understand why he got on the nerves of some fans here in Edmonton. There goes the San Jose connection again. Come on, Drew. You know what? I had a lot more time for Drew than I think some people did, but I don't make the decision. So I liked some of the insights he offered. It probably wasn't as oiler friendly as some people would like on an oiler broadcast, but he'll stay busy. Drew, Drew is a good hockey man. He's been a coach. He's been a broadcaster. He'll land on his feet doing something he enjoys.
0: One other guy we're going to talk about. That's Harnarayan Ryan Singh, who uh, yeah. was able to jump right into a national broadcast because Jim Houston was not available. And initially Harnarayan Ryan had come up and I'm trying to get him on the show. We will in a couple of weeks. But he was actually coming up to fill in for Gene Principe, who is uh on a protocol issue for uh, for COVID, so was unable to yep. make it. He comes up to host, and the next thing you know, he's doing the play-by-play suddenly. Did an admirable job on the first broadcast. He's now done two, but it's uh, it's a great experience. You want to, here again, staying with the theme about watching guys work their way up. Here's a kid who who basically grew up in Watasquan and then has moved around through Alberta and then gets this great opportunity to do Hockey Night in Punjabi and then gets this opportunity to do play-by-play on Hockey Night in Canada on a Saturday night. It's got to be a thrill for him.
1: Well, absolutely. We we texted back and forth uh, that night. You know, he was pumped. You know, some fans talked about him being nervous, being hesitant. And yes, at times he was. That's what we heard. That's what they hear. But let's not forget this. And and uh, you know, we talked with Cam Moon. When you listen to something you've done, or in a writer's case, you you read something you've written, and you go, "Oh shit, it was that wasn't very good." Yeah. Um, this was Harner. Now Harner Ryan's been in front of a mic a long time, but this was his first play-by-play game at the NHL level in English. Yes, he speaks the language, but broadcasting in the language is different. I thought he hung in and did a good job. I thought he was uh, better uh, the second time. But what a you know what a thrill for him to finally do that. I, I I think it's terrific,
0: great news. Hey, listen, that's it for today. It's been a fun show. Really appreciated it, and uh, we'll uh, we'll talk again next week, and we'll see where the teams are stacking up after almost two full weeks. Okay, Robin.
1: You bet you'll see you then, pal. Okay. In the meantime, and in between time, that's it. Another edition. One thing.